Mac Folklore Radio, read by Derek. Macworld, April 1988. A Patchwork of Windows. A review of MultiFinder 1.0 by Bruce Webster. Pros. Inexpensive. Allows multiple applications to be loaded simultaneously. Cons. Some compatibility problems. Works best with a large screen and lots of memory. Company. Apple Computer. List price, $49. US Requirements. Mac Plus, SE, or 2. 1 megabyte of RAM. So here I am, sitting at a Macintosh 2 with a 19-inch display and lots of memory, and I'm running the following tasks. Microsoft Excel, More, Mac Terminal, TML Pascal, Comic Strip Factory, Hypercard, Go, the game, Ready Set Go 3, Microsoft Word, and the Finder. The screen is a crazy quilt of windows, icons, documents, and folders, and I'm loving every minute of it. Welcome to MultiFinder, Apple's first attempt at a multitasking environment on the Macintosh. It's bundled with all new Macs, but what if you bought your Mac prior to the bundling? Should you buy MultiFinder? What it is MultiFinder is an optional part of the Macintosh system software. You don't have to use it. It allows you to have several applications open simultaneously so that you can easily switch from task to task without all the tedious mucking about that's usually required. For those of you too young to have lived through the pre-Switcher and MultiFinder era, you had to open document A, copy something, quit, land back in the Finder, open document B in a different application, and then paste. Or rely on the scrapbook. A lot. The way it works is quite simple. As you open each application, all documents, icons, and other displays appear on the desktop. The desktop doesn't go away as it does under the Finder. The more applications you open, the more windows you have on the screen. I know that sounds mundane today, but not even Andy Hertzfeld's brilliant switcher would let you see multiple applications at once, let alone manipulate things in the Finder while you were working on something else. This is why miniature Finder clones in the form of desk accessories, like CE Software's Disktop, were enormously popular in the early days of the Macintosh. Without things like Disktop, if you were in an application and you needed to rename something, tough. To switch from one application to another, you click on any window or icon associated with the application you want to run. The menu bar then changes to reflect that choice. You can thus quickly move from one application to another. Of course, this doesn't help if the application's document is buried under several other windows, or if there aren't any documents or tools to click on. But even then, you can switch applications using the Apple menu. The desk accessories are followed by a list of the currently executing applications. You select one from the list, and it becomes the active application. Alternatively, you can scroll through the applications by clicking on the icons in the upper right corner of the menu bar. At least two benefits are immediately apparent. First, since the clipboard remains active, you'll find it delightfully easy to cut and paste data between applications. Second, the Finder is always active, so you can quickly move, delete, and rename files. For example, while writing this article, I changed over to the Finder, created a new folder, then came back into Microsoft Word and saved my document in the new folder, 
all by simply clicking on Already Opened Windows. Another time-saving feature, if you have a laser printer, is MultiFinder's background printing capability. It allows you to spool documents to the printer so that you don't have to wait endless minutes to regain control of your Mac. Unfortunately, background printing does not work with image writers. MFR Speculation I'm going to hazard a guess this was omitted for performance reasons. Have you ever tried moving the mouse around while formatting a floppy on an old Mac? Or doing a large file copy over local talk? Mouse movement becomes jerky to the point where your system is more or less unusable. The 1991 Usenet comp.sys.mac FAQ maintained by Elliot Herald had this to offer. Question. Why isn't print monitor available for my image writer? Answer. Ask the Apple Customer Assistance Center this one. Meanwhile, the only way to print spool to an image writer under System 7 is with Super Laser Spool 3.0 from 5th generation systems. At a 98 US dollar street price for Super Laser Spool and only $300 for the vastly superior desk writer or style writer, you may want to forego Super Laser Spool and buy a better printer instead. Mac Palette 2 is also an option. If you're still using System 6 and have no plans to move to System 7, there is a shareware product called Multispool from Italy, but it is not System 7 compatible. End quote. And according to the same FAQ, in 1994, if you were willing to install System 7.5 and had at least 8 megabytes of RAM, QuickDraw GX, of all things, would allow you to do background printing with an image writer. Perhaps your experience was different, but in 1994, an image writer was typically not attached to anything with a plurality of memory. That image writer was also probably attached to a very patient user. Now you know more than is frankly healthy about how to multitask with an image writer. What it isn't. MultiFinder is not a true multitasking system. In a true multitasking system, each program or application thinks it controls the entire machine. In reality, however, the operating system gives a certain amount of processing time to each task in a round-robin fashion so that no single task constantly hogs the processor. Several tasks share the processor, but the user has the illusion that they are all running at the same time. MultiFinder, however, shares time through an event queue. This means that when you create an event, for instance, by clicking the mouse or selecting a menu item, the program you're working in controls the entire machine. As long as the program is fed a series of events, it remains active. Other programs are forced to wait. This isn't really a tremendous problem, since most applications spend a lot of time waiting for the user to do something. Press a key, click the mouse button, or select a menu item. While the application is idle, Background tasks can steal processor time. For instance, under MultiFinder, you could conceivably work on an Excel spreadsheet while uploading or downloading a file via your modem. The problem, however, is that applications must be designed to take advantage of background processing, and even then, they will be limited in the type of work they can do. To date, few programs work at all in the background, but look for more to do so. Drawbacks. Since the benefits of MultiFinder, such as quick switching among several open applications, background printing, and multitasking have been well publicized, let's look at some of the drawbacks. 
The most obvious problem is that many programs behave erratically under MultiFinder. Some quickly terminate, Microsoft Excel frequently needs to be reloaded during a work session, while others hang at certain spots. My experience, though, is that most applications that run on a Macintosh 2 run under MultiFinder. However, it's a good idea for you to check each of the applications you plan to use. Memory requirements may cause problems for some users. You can run MultiFinder with just one megabyte of memory, but you may find it more tantalizing than helpful. Typically, you can't get more than two or three major applications loaded using just one megabyte, and sometimes not even that many. Having two megabytes of memory makes operation feasible. Four or five megabytes makes it wonderful. The small screen of the Macintosh Plus and SE is another drawback. Once you have more than two applications open, windows start heavily overlapping. This can make it hard to do some of the side-by-side -side work, such as cutting and pasting, to which MultiFinder lends itself so well. It may also mean digging through windows to get to the trash can. Another problem you might run into, more likely on a system with a large screen, involves having too many windows open at once. I found that the Macintosh operating system only allowed me to open 12 windows. Beyond that, you can't launch any more applications or open any more file folders. Recommendations You certainly don't need MultiFinder. Your Mac will work just fine without it. However, if you do any desktop publishing, or if you just like to work on several things at once, MultiFinder can be a real blessing. And the price? 49 US dollars is right, especially compared to the 1,500 US dollar price tag projected for upgrading to OS2 on IBM compatibles. OS2 fans, please put down the pitchforks. I know that was not the retail cost of any version of OS2. I think the reviewer may be hinting at something Merrill Chapman wrote about in his book In Search of Stupidity. Allow me to quote There was an event beyond IBM's control a rapid spike in memory prices during the OS2 introduction. This was a big problem, as OS2 required a whopping 4 megabytes of memory to be useful, 8 megabytes to step along smartly, and 16 megabytes to really hum. A 1 megabyte memory stick that was projected to sell for about $100 shot up to almost $400 before the bubble burst. As a Glum product manager from Describe, a startup that was introducing an OS2 word processor, pointed out, OS2 without memory was a $1,000 upgrade. Bundled with a handsomely discounted 4MB memory stick, it was a million-copy seller. But IBM was unresponsive to that idea. The book cites IBM as setting the price for OS2 1.0 at $340. US End quote. OS2 fans, yes, I'm aware the system requirements for the initial release of OS2 were lower. I believe the author is talking about OS2 2.0. David Barnes, noted OS2 evangelist, who's really entertaining and you should watch, link in the show notes, will back me up here. Now, OS2 2.1, I'll tell you that I could do this demo in 8 and you would be duly impressed. You really would. It is very impressive in 8. OS2 is minimum on the side of the box it says 4. David Barnes says 6 is the minimum. I like 8. It's a nice sweet spot and everybody's pretty happy at 8 megabytes, okay? Yes, I'm aware they optimized the heck out of OS2 Warp version 3, making it run comfortably alongside several applications and just 4 megabytes of RAM, but that only happened much later in the product's life, in October 1994. Why do I know these things? Well, now you know why I'm single. And don't forget, you needed a hard disk as well, 
something that only a tiny fraction of all home computers had in 1988. These problems weren't specific to OS 2. 32-bit multitasking personal computer operating systems tended to come with a lot of new facilities that demanded more resources. What did the next cube ship with? A minimum of 8 megs of RAM and, eventually, a hard disk. What were the system requirements for the first release of Windows NT? 12 megabytes of RAM and 75 megabytes of free disk space just for the operating system. If you're serious about using MultiFinder, then get at least 2 megabytes of memory, preferably 4 or 5, and a large screen display. No, you don't have to, but you'll be pleasantly surprised at just how powerful your system is with that combination of software and hardware. Now let's have some commentary from Jerry Burrell in Macworld, January 1988. Thanks for the memory. It's MultiFinder. Do you know where your memory is? It's 11 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? It quit. What quit? Excel. Excel? Damn! This, I thought, does not bode well. A newly upgraded Macintosh Plus with a large screen running the latest version of MultiFinder sits on the desk of Jane Lega, our editorial manager. She uses it for budgeting, planning, author contracts, and more. 13 megabytes worth of information. This is a machine that we cannot afford to have acting up. Maybe it's MultiFinder. I pull down the special menu and select Set Startup. So far, so good. Select the Finder option in the dialog box then restart. No icon in the upper right corner, so we're in the plain old finder. And, yes, Excel opens up. Talk about a rude awakening. A Macintosh Plus upgraded to 2 megabytes cannot run MultiFinder and Excel. True, Excel is a notorious memory hog. True, Jane does run large spreadsheets on her system. And the display screen needs sufficient RAM to support a full 1024 by 780 screen buffer. But the implications! I had only just managed to convince my management that we needed to have several of our Mac Pluses and SEs upgraded to 2 megabytes. 11 upgrades! We managed to buy the memory for about 6,000 US dollars. We bought the memory from an Apple developer before Apple had lowered its price for 1 megabyte to about 600 US dollars. Incredible! 2 megabytes is not enough! Not that 2 megabytes has any particular connotation but I had thought we'd be power users with that amount. I already knew that 2 megabytes on the Macintosh 2 was insufficient. For our first demonstration of Interleaf's electronic publishing program for the Mac, the company had to bring 4 megabytes of memory with them to add to our Mac 2 just to show us the package. I also remembered the demonstration of Microtech's new 8-bit color scanning software that wouldn't work properly with only 2 megabytes. Then there's my trouble with Bravo's MacCalc, the spreadsheet that I use for planning. It quits frequently. Out of memory. Come to think of it, Supermax Pixel Paint does something similar, but less rudely. When I try to launch the program on my machine, I get a dialog box politely informing me that there is insufficient memory to use the package. But would I like to open it with the memory available? At least I can use the program. On the other hand, if I try to open a large picture file, the program opens only the application, not the picture. Having faced the fact that the Macintosh 2 is a 5 megabyte base machine, 
that is, it needs that much memory to run many of the new programs I try, I could accept a 2 megabyte minimum for the Plus and SE. In fact, I noted in this column a month ago that the Plus and SE family was moving to a 2 megabyte base. Finding that even this amount may be insufficient was frightening. There are several implications here, but for the first time, as an administrator, I was facing a very contentious issue. How can I afford to upgrade the memory of the 20 plus Macintoshes in our department? And if I do, is 2 megabytes enough, or do we need even more? Of course, memory sellers should be in heaven. But wait, do I recall a demonstration of MultiFinder that showed how to minimize the amount of memory used by applications? I plow into the documentation, blissfully straightforward. It says to select the system folder and select About Finder. A little chart pops up that tells me how my system's memory is distributed. 224K to right now, 160K for the Finder, I assume this is the combination of the Finder and MultiFinder, and 409K for the system. A good start, but is there actually a way to indicate how much memory I must dedicate to each application? If you select an application while in MultiFinder and then request Get Info from the File menu, an updated dialog box shows two new entries. The amount of memory Apple recommends you allocate for the application, that's set by the developer in the Size resource for the application, it's not set by Apple, and the amount of memory you choose to devote to the application. Let's say, for example, that I want to run right now and pixel paint. I'll just keep on writing this column, saving first, and try the aforementioned procedure. Well, pixel paint needs an additional 1,677 bytes. It won't open, so I'll adjust the memory used by right now. That's odd. The suggested memory size doesn't appear in the Get Info box for right now, because the developer hasn't updated the application with a size resource. I expect we'll see a lot of these discrepancies until developers catch up with the new system and Finder. Maybe another application. How about Excel? I'll try a big file, say a 286 kilobyte list. No luck, won't open. A blank Excel file does open, but I can't get at that list. Hmm. I'll consult the Finder memory distribution box once again. Let's see. Excel 272K? Right now, 224K, Finder, 160K, System, 430K. I have creeping memories of past experiences, like the time I installed my first hard disk on an IBM PC. But this is the Macintosh. I didn't fall in love with this computer to have to partition my memory each time I open up a desktop full of applications. I don't want to understand fragmentation of memory that might prevent me from opening this or that application. The Mac should take care of this for me. I don't have time to play hacker enthusiast with my Mac these days. I do too much work with it. So the simple solution is to buy enough memory to avoid the issue. At least, that appeared to be the answer until I discovered that even 2 megabytes doesn't do it. And if I resolve this dilemma, I still have to worry about the potential for overheating the system board with all of that memory remembering that some early memory upgrades were not in the form of compact SIMs. The Macintosh 2 is another story. The shortage of 1 megabit memory chips has postponed upgrades for the Mac 2 until recently. See the July 2019 MFR episode, Adventures in the RAM Trade, my least popular episode, 
for more on that. True, the cheaper 256K RAM chips are available, but they have a problem. It takes four times the chips to add an equivalent amount of memory, making it impossible to put the maximum 8 megabytes on the Mac 2 system board. Also, until recently, the Mac 2 had a 1 megabyte limit per slot. The latter problem has been solved with a change in the Mac 2's ROM, allowing developers to build cheaper memory cards for Mac 2 slots. It hardly seems a coincidence that Apple should lower its memory prices as this becomes possible. Whatever the marketing implications, at last we have memory coming for the Macintosh 2. A related announcement for the System 6 diehards out there. I cannot believe this, and I'm having a difficult time recording this because I'm so tickled, but a few episodes ago I spoke of the relative dates feature of macOS 8, wherein List View in the Finder lists file modification dates as the more human-friendly today and yesterday, etc., instead of a full timestamp. Enterprising listener Steve Crutchfield, yes, the same Steve Crutchfield that wrote Beam Wars, wrote in to say that episode inspired him to backport macOS 8's relative dates feature to System 6. He wrote a small init that patches the drawstring routine in the Finder to get the job done. It's an elegant little thing, available on Macintosh Garden and linked in the show notes. It is, in Steve's words, a critical productivity enhancement. Thank you, Steve, for filling my heart with joy. Thanks for tuning in. You can find more stories or join the Very Quiet Discord server for this podcast at www.macfolkloreradio.com.